Let us open the Word of God to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup keeps on running over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think there must be very few people that belong to any kind of a church anywhere in the world who do not recognize this as part of the Bible. This psalm may well be the best known passage in the whole Bible with a possible exception only of John 3.16. And precisely because all kinds of people, many of them not Christians at all, can recite this psalm by heart, though very little else in the Bible, uh, we must be careful that we don't get turned off toward this psalm by that fact. This, the best known of all psalms, is a magnificent psalm, especially suitable as we come to our Savior's table. It is a psalm of David, who, as you know, was a shepherd and whose job it was to look after sheep before he became the shepherd king of Israel. A true king, a true political leader, first needs to have been a shepherd. If I had my way, no one would be allowed to run for political office until he has first been an elder in the Church of Christ and learned how to look after Christ's sheep. And so it was with King David. Uh, apparently, after he became king, though we can't be absolutely certain of that, he wrote this psalm. He looks back at the time when he used to look after animal sheep. And he reminds himself that it's now his job as king, as shepherd king, to look after human sheep. And above all, he is reminded that God, the greatest of all shepherd kings, looks after his sheep David and all of the other sheep that David looks after, both human and animal. And he breaks out at the beginning of this psalm and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
He doesn't just say, God is my shepherd. He doesn't say, the force is my shepherd. He doesn't say, the grand architect of the universe across the road there is my shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Translating the word Jehovah. And Jehovah means the one who always was, who is now, and always shall be. That's the one who is David's shepherd. Secondly, Jehovah means the Savior God. Uh, I often call Jesus Jehovah Jesus, for indeed he was both Jehovah, the one who always was, who is now, and who always shall be, as well as Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins, and indeed who feeds them each day. So when David here says, the Lord is my shepherd, he means Jehovah Jesus is my shepherd. I trust that Jehovah Jesus is also your shepherd. If you have a faith in some or other God, some or other high uh, and mighty being, uh, that great power above that hath made us a nation, you need to ask whether that great power above has a name. <laughs> and the name that you need to have for him is Jehovah Jesus. For there is no other who always has been, who is now, and who always shall be. He's the one, he's the only one who is Savior. Jehovah Jesus says David, and no one else is my shepherd. He says that this God is his shepherd, uh, someone who looks after his sheep, someone who owns sheep, someone who as the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep in order to protect them from the wolves. But he also says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord should be everyone's shepherd, though those two statements are true enough. He says the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, Jehovah Jesus is his personal Lord and Savior and shepherd. Tell me, my friend, is the Lord Jesus Christ your shepherd? I'm not asking you whether you believe that Christ is God. I'm not asking you whether you believe that Christ is the one who died on the cross. I'm asking you whether the Lord Jesus is your shepherd. Because only if he's your shepherd and you know yourself to be his sheep can you really hope, that is, rest your trust upon and rely upon all of the other wonderful promises which this great psalm then goes on to enumerate. And the first consequence mentioned of the Lord being David's shepherd is he's able to say and to mean, I shall not lack, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never lack now you may say, but surely David, even though he was a king, didn't have everything he wanted. That's true. But he did have everything he needed. 
And if the Lord is your shepherd, he will see to it that you lack nothing of what you really need. Oh, I know we're sinners. We often want things and we're miserable if we don't get them. But it's good that God doesn't give us everything we want because a lot of what we want in our sinfulness is not good for us. And God never says, I'll give you everything you want. But he does say, you won't lack anything. You won't lack anything that you really need if Jehovah Jesus is your shepherd. And what are some of the things that a child of God, a sheep of Jehovah Jesus, will never lack? First, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He will make you to lie down. He will give you the rest that you need. Now you may say, I suffer from insomnia and I'm not getting the rest that I need. Let me tell you, many years ago, I suffered from insomnia. All of a sudden, it was terrible. I could only sleep 10 hours per week for nine months. Before it hit me, I would have thought anyone would have died who'd gone through that experience. You don't die. You, you feel as miserable as if you are dying, but you still continue functioning about 90% efficient. It's a miserable experience, and whereas I used to laugh at people who said they had insomnia, till I got it, I laugh no longer. But even during those nine miserable months of my life, when I averaged 10 hours sleep per week for nine months, I got enough sleep to be able to continue. I didn't get all the sleep I wanted, but I got all the sleep that I really needed while I was going through that situation. He makes us to lie down. I think all of you here are sleeping more than 10 hours a week, right? Okay. Thank God when you lie down and get a few hours sleep. Maybe only five hours sleep per night. That's all I need. Uh, but if you're sleeping only four hours a night, thank God for the four hours sleep that you get when you lie down. Uh, and Churchill and Thomas Edison, who were no slouches and who achieved something in life, they never slept more than four hours per night. John Calvin averaged two hours sleep per night. Uh, but he got all the sleep that he really needed. Not all that he wanted, but all that he needed. For the Lord was his shepherd, and the Lord made Calvin to lie down. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Uh, our pastures are green. Now a sheep cannot eat sand. Uh, my father-in-law raised sheep in the desert but I've never yet seen a sheep eating sand. What sheep do, they nibble at grass or other bits of greenery, even if there's not much greenery in the desert. And my father-in-law farmed with sheep on four inches of rain per year, which is not very much. It can be done. God will always see, if you're his sheep, that you have enough green pasture. Once again, it may not be as green as you wish but it will be green enough to sustain you. God will give you not all the food you want, but as much food as he knows you really need. He leads me beside the still waters. God also gives us water to drink. 
It may not be nectar, it may not be Coca-Cola, but he will give us at least water to drink. And frankly, water is all you need to drink to survive. The thing you're going to need, and particularly us in Australia are going to need, on a hot, hot day in the 1st of January next year when the computers all go haywire, worst possible scenario is water. No problem in the United States. You're going to freeze, but you'll be able to melt the snow and drink that. In Australia, we're not going to freeze. We're going to sweat. But where are we going to get water to drink? You need water to drink, and that's all you need to drink. Uh, water is not all that palatable. I personally prefer uh, Coca-Cola or coffee, but water is all you need, and it's better for you than Coca-Cola or coffee. He leads me beside the still waters. Every time you drink a glass of water, thank God for it. You're drinking that water because Jehovah Jesus provides you the liquid that you need to have to sustain your life from day to day. And he leads you to the waters. I don't know where we're going to find water in Australia if the faucets go off on the 1st of January, but I know that those that trust in the Lord will be led to the water which will be available there somewhere, somehow. He leads us beside the still waters. But more importantly, verse 3, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Your soul, your personality, needs to be kept lubricated. Your soul and mine is like a battery, a car battery that runs down. Have you noticed? And one day, unless you feed on God's Word every day, you jump into your car and you crank the engine and it's dead. And you say, uh-uh, the battery is run down. Christians get that way. And when our battery runs down, we need to be recharged, Right? And when the battery is recharged, it is restored. Now you and I need to be restored day by day. You may think that you're doing fine now, but let me tell you, my friend, if you do not feed upon the Word of God every day of your life, and if you do not drink His Holy Word, your battery will run dry. And when it does, you will be dead as a Christian. That's the bad news. But the good news is, if you are a sheep of Jehovah Jesus, He restores your soul. He recharges your battery. And optimally, this needs to be done every day of our life, particularly at family worship every day and every evening. He keeps on restoring my soul. You may say, my soul's perfectly all right. I honked twice 20 years ago when Billy Graham was in Detroit. I don't need any restoration. You are deceived. All of us need to have our souls restored every day of our lives. And the great thing is, Jehovah Jesus keeps on restoring our soul. Tell me, has He restored your soul today? Your soul needs to be restored today. And if it has been, your soul will get even more restored when you come to our Savior's table in just a few minutes' time. We need to keep on having our 
souls, our personalities restored and indeed improved as we imbibe more and more of the juice of God's Word. He restores my soul. He leads me into the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. A Christian, a true sheep of Jehovah Jesus, is one who keeps being led by the nose, by the shepherd, into the paths of righteousness. The notion that a person can be a sheep of Christ without living a righteous life is a notion totally against the teaching of God's Word. A sheep is one that follows the shepherd. The shepherd leads into the paths of righteousness, not necessarily the paths that the sheep thinks is good for it, but the paths that the shepherd knows is good for the sheep. And these paths which the shepherd leads his sheep into are the paths of righteousness, the paths of keeping his holy law, the Ten Commandments, not in order to become justified, but hallelujah, because we have been justified by the perfect righteousness of our shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made us righteous, but who desires that we now as his sheep keep on becoming more and more righteous, not objectively, but subjectively within ourselves and in the way in which we walk before him and in the way in which the world sees us to walk, the paths of righteousness. And he doesn't do this for our sake. He doesn't lead us into the paths of righteousness because we are very nice, good people. But he keeps on leading us into the paths of righteousness, following his holy law, out of gratitude for what he's done for us, for his name's sake, so that to him can be the glory. As Jesus himself says to the disciples, let your light so keep on shining before men so that they can see your good works and glorify not you, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now as we live the Christian life, as we follow the shepherd, uh, as we get enough rest, as we uh, get enough water to drink, as we get enough food to eat, as we find our souls being restored and refreshed every days of our lives, as we keep on being led by the shepherd into the paths of righteousness, we sometimes need to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, there are downs in the life of a Christian as well as ups, and the valley of the shadow of death is one of the downs. What is it? Obviously, if we feel our lives have been threatened, if someone beats us up and mugs us so that we face dying, that is the valley of the shadow of death. My neighbor in Australia got a stroke a couple of months ago, and uh, he told my daughter to inform me, who informed me yesterday from Australia, that he felt he was going to die in the hospital. He has been through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's come out a man who is seeking forgiveness and who wants to live a different kind of life now. It may be you too may get a stroke and wind up in hospital. That's the valley of the shadow of death. It may be your wife dies on you. That is the valley of the shadow of death of, of your marriage. It may be your husband divorces you and walks out on you for another woman. 
that is the valley of the shadow of death. It may be you're old, but no matter how old we are, and I feel in great shape in my 65th year, I hope I still have as much energy, especially to preach when I'm 85 or 95, if the Lord spares me that long, but the day will come when I will die and face death itself. The process of dying, when it comes to us, whether we die young, like that little child that is buried uh, out there that died eight months after conception, I believe it was, not even a nine-month baby, and the child died and is buried here in your churchyard, or whether you live to be uh, 88 months or years and die at age 88 as my mother did, we all have to die. And when the time comes for us to die, we go through a slow or a long process of dying, and either way, it is not terribly pleasant. It is the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I see a dark shadow fall across my life, though it seems to me I've gone into a long tunnel like the Lincoln Tunnel and you don't want to get stuck in the middle of the Lincoln Tunnel if the oxygen goes off. It happened to me once and it's not very pleasant. We go through periods of our life like that. But even when we go through them, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You will notice that it's not called the valley of death. It's called the valley of the shadow of death. Even death itself is not death, the end, finish to a Christian. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very character of our death when it comes has been changed from a terrible, awesome, frightening thing to an unpleasant door through which we know we will pass and the moment we've passed through it, we will be with Jesus. Isn't that something marvelous? Those of you who are old, those of you who are infirm, those of you who are sick, those of you who have a dangerous job, policeman perhaps, or airline pilot, you're just one minute away from death every second uh, of your job. But if you're a Christian and you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you know you know that even if you die, you're not going to go to hell. But the character of your death is that of a doorway, unpleasant as it is, which leads immediately into the presence of God Himself. Why? Because the Lord, Jehovah Jesus, is your shepherd. He's been there before you and me. He has prepared the road toward our death. He's taken the sting out of death so that now we have no fear of death. If death comes, well, then it comes. I will fear no evil. Why not? Because you are with me. About three or four weeks ago, I visited Dr. Rushduni, and um, he took my hand and he says, uh, Well, Nigel, I don't think we will see one another ever again on this earth. At which point his wife started objecting. Oh no, Rush, don't say that. Don't say that. I said, yes, let him say that, Dorothy. Let him say that. After all, uh, I am flying 
uh, to Virginia tomorrow and uh, the plane may never reach Virginia, in which case I'll be in heaven before Rush Dooney, who's 83 and whose health is clearly sinking. So we never know when we will die, but we must live without fear of death, even if we're old and know that death is very close to us. And we will live without fear of death if the Lord is our shepherd. We will lack nothing. He will take us even down the process of those last dying moments. I will fear no evil. Why not? Because you are with me. Emmanuel, God with us. You shall call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us all the days, even till the very end of the world. It's a great thing to know that Jesus is with you, in his spirit, living in your heart. Even if 10,000 people stand up to beat you up, have no fear. If the spirit of Jesus is with you, you will not fear even when you and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not because we're so brave, but because the Spirit of Christ who lives in us as his children, he makes us brave so that we don't fear because we know we are simply following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ who is alive and very well in heaven and one day again alive and well on planet earth too. You are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the shepherds of old time had two sticks. One was the rod and one was the staff. The rod, a relatively short piece of wood uh, with which you would whack a wolf on the head, often with a heavy, uh, a heavy uh, round piece of wood or metal on the head of it, such as a mace in the Middle Ages. Because God whacks the wolves with his mace uh, to protect us as his sheep uh, and uses the most unusual circumstances and the most unusual people to protect us as his sheep, we should have no fear. But he also has a staff. Thy staff also comforts me. Now the staff was a longer, more slender piece of wood uh, with a hook on the end, like little Bo Peep has lost her sheep. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen these. Uh, even the Pope has one that he calls a crozier. Now the purpose, the purpose of that <laughs> staff uh, was to stretch out and to hook the, 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 the hook of that staff round the limbs of the sheep. Whenever the sheep threatened to go astray, the shepherd would say, come back here, and he would Give that sheep a good tug. And let me tell you, that hurt the sheep. That hurt the sheep. And whenever you and I get out of line and we begin to drift away from the straight and narrow path, the path of righteousness, you can depend upon it. Jehovah Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to wrap his bent crook round you and yank you back. And that's going to hurt. But that's good. That proves he's looking after you. That proves that he's going to give you a little pain lest you drop off the edge of the precipice and literally smash your brains out because sheep are the most stupid creatures. They really are. Uh, my, my wife's father used to farm with them. They are, they are really stupid. 
And uh, I understand why God calls Christians sheep, because a lot of Christians are really stupid. They're just like sheep. They're not smart. But the great thing about sheep is not their brains, which are very small. It's the shepherd that looks after them. And he whacks them, and he tugs them, and he pulls them, because he knows what's best for them. Are you going through a difficult time of your life? Do you feel God's not giving you a break? Do you feel that you're not getting the attention from God that you think you merit? Do you feel that uh, uh, God is being a little rough on you? You should rather say, praise the Lord. He's rough on me because he doesn't want me to go astray into paths that I shouldn't go into. And when you realize that, your faith will be strengthened and you'll thank God even for the hurts of life which you and I from time to time need to suffer. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They strengthen me. And ultimately, they're a cushion like a pillow on which I can rest my weary head because I then learn to say, as did Job, though he slays me, yet will I keep on trusting him. And now, folks, we come to the Lord's table. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Our Jehovah Jesus has prepared a table before us this afternoon. And notice where he prepares this table so that we should eat from it. In the presence of my enemies. Your enemies are God's enemies. They're all about you. Look at them transgressing the Sabbath as they drive up and down Evergreen Drive to who knows what place, but most of them hardly to a church in the presence of our enemies, surrounded by neighbors who often detest us because we are children of God, because we follow the Good Shepherd, right in the presence of our enemies, with all the dignitaries and the corrupt governments looking on, the Lord is our shepherd and he prepares a table before us, which we as the sheep alone are entitled to, and the wolves as they slaver from their mouths, all around us, they see the table. Sometimes they want what's on the table. Sometimes they try and grab it, but they never get any nourishment from the table. And sometimes they would kick over the table and prohibit Christ's sheep from going to the communion table. But the great thing is, Jehovah Jesus keeps on preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies and the only enemies you and I should have are those who are Christ's enemies. You anoint my head with oil. To anoint the head uh, was a very common practice amongst the Hebrews. They used oil, but sometimes water, and sometimes a mixture of water and oil. And by pouring the liquid on the head of the person, uh, that person was set aside to be either a prophet or a priest or a king, they were all anointed on their forehead. Yes, prophets, priests, and kings forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, in fact. Have you thought of how, when you were baptized, or when your baby was baptized, uh, water was poured out upon the head? That signifies that the person being baptized is thereby set apart from that which is sinful, set apart to be a full-time Christian servant, set apart to be a prophet, a priest, a king, 
or if you like a prophetess, a priestess, or the queen under King Jesus by virtue of us sharing at our baptism in his being baptized for us and in our place this much neglected but necessary doctrine of improving our baptism. So the little ones who are sitting here, you were baptized when you were babies. You have not yet come to the Lord's table and you're not yet ready for it. But know this, that you have already been anointed and appointed little kings, little prophets, little queens, uh, little priests, little priestesses of King Jesus. And as you grow up toward Christian maturity, you will be walking over the years towards his holy table. He has anointed your head. And therefore you can say, my cup runs over. I don't know how much wine there's going to be in the cup. We'll have to see when they remove the, the, the tablecloth. But be it one big jug of wine or be it uh, little, uh, little, little cups as the case may be, our cup should run over. Of course, even if it's just a little bitty piece of wine in a tiny little cup, it needs to run over. But more importantly, when we come to the Savior's table uh, and are feasted with the holy food that he puts before us as his sheep, and when he causes our cup, which is his cup, to overflow because of the abundance of his goodness toward us, then we should say, verse 6, surely, that means that's for sure, that means I'm absolutely convinced that things are going to get better than they are now. Surely, goodness and mercy shall keep on following me all the days of my life. I myself am going to be used by God to show goodness and mercy toward other people all the days of my life. For as long as I live on this planet, I'm going to walk in the ways of goodness by the grace of God. That is my resolve as I come to his holy table. And I am going to keep on dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not going to be what they call in Australia a C of E, uh, which doesn't mean Church of England, it means Christmas and Easter. Uh, particularly Episcopalians, they come to church twice a year, at Christmas time and at Easter time. And the other 52 Sundays, 50 Sundays of the 52 Sundays in the year, you never see these, these people. No, we're not to be that way. We are to become rooted in the household of God. We are to be every Sunday Christians in the church of the Lord. And more importantly than every Sunday in His church, the Lord who is our shepherd is to be our guest at our family worship every morning, every evening, every day of every week of our lives, forever and forever and forever. That's the meaning of this psalm. As we now get ready to come to our Savior's blessed table, let us see that Christ Jesus, Jehovah Jesus, is our shepherd. He prepares the table before us. Our cup runs over, and therefore surely we need to keep on displaying goodness and mercy all the days of our lives and resolve to keep on dwelling, to keep on living in the house of the Lord forever.